I'm always happy to be able to talk. I'm always happy to be able to speak. Any chance that I get, I don't get the opportunity very often. Um, but I do enjoy it. So I'd like to ask you, when was the first time that you read your Bible? No doubt, I believe for uh, some of us, it was actually used to help you learn to read. Before you could read, it was read to you for some of us. While others may be found that its teachings, maybe found its teachings later in life. Maybe through a friend growing up while you were a teenager. Or maybe yet you didn't find the Bible and read any of it until you were an adult. Maybe for the first time, maybe the first time you witnessed the Bible and what was in this book was through the life and the actions of those around you. Seeing the Lord and His perfect attributes through the life of someone that you happen to come in contact with. It was the way that they lived, maybe the way that they loved. It was the way that they cared and the way that they tried to help you for no apparent reason. The way they tried to better the world around them and the people that they came in contact with and not just tear it down. See, we live in a society, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of tearing down. You see, while some may find the Lord through the Word, That's not the only way this book was supposed to be taught. And it's not the only way that this book has been handed down. While some may find the Lord through this book, many must see the book being lived out in your life. Then they question then they, they ask questions. They want to know why. Why are you different? God calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be peculiar. Are we? You see, a lot of people need to see the sermon. They don't need to hear it. They need to see you living it. They don't need to hear you preaching it. It's like public school. Let's let's dumb it down to the lowest common denominator and push the kids through it. Let's just get them to pass in any way possible, right? Let's make one curriculum that is pretty much equal that everybody can kind of work around. And then maybe the difference in homeschooling. Little plug there, you should homeschool your kids. You see, when you homeschool your kids, you can you can teach according to how they learn. Right? It's not a one size fits all. You can ask my wife about this. She's done this for 
13, 14 years, 13 years, something like that. It's not a one-size-fits-all. The way she was able to teach Holly is not the way that she could teach Brayden, is not the way at all to teach Weston, right? So it's different. We can pinpoint what's needed to happen, and then we can go down that road. You see, that's the way this works. Some people need to hear it. Some people need to read it. Some people need to see it. It seems natural for Americans to not think outside the box sometimes. To tend to think that we're the ones the world should mimic. That we're the ones that set the standard. And while that can be true in many ways, it's within those thoughts, as subliminal as sometimes they are, that we find ourselves lacking a lot of the times. We don't look around at the world and we don't see what's in plain sight that just might be a little bit out of context. I've said for many years now that we have lost so much depth in translation. The English language is terrible at depth. Terrible. A lot of times it's shallow, it's irritating. If you don't put in the work and a little effort to truly understand the beauty and the perfection and the patterns that are inside this book, they're completely perfect. They're completely perfect. I know that language irritates a lot of people. They get mad about it. They don't want to look it up. Nah, English has been good my whole life. I learned about the Bible with only knowing English. We didn't talk about the Greek. We didn't talk about the Hebrew. I did just fine. Are you sure? People get tired of the original language debate, the meaning of the language debate. It's super frustrating, I agree. It is super frustrating. It can be really hard to deal with. But it's important. Again, I think a lot of times as Americans, we have an underlying sense of importance and we have stubbornness when it comes to language and culture. While I can say I agree that some of that can be justified at times, it absolutely cannot be justified when it comes to the Word of God. I can prove it with one verse. One verse. A lot of Christians will use the original 1611 King James translation because... It's what is generally perceived as one of the better English translations out there, though nowadays we have so many different translations that will make up for things that are wrong with one and then add their whole layer of wrong to theirs. Right? None of them are right. None of them are perfect. 
That's okay. <clears throat> but for this purpose in this example, we're going to look at Acts 12.4. And we don't need to look at the entire verse. A lot of you know that verse. It's the only verse in the Bible that uses the word Easter. Now, if you don't want to have a language debate, then when I say there's the scripture that points to Easter, you need to be quiet. But if you agree that is a poor translation, then you need to agree that you need to look a little deeper at the rest. The majority of the world use this verse as justification to the importance of celebrating Easter. The real world, the real word is Pesach. What it's saying is Passover. It doesn't say Easter. So what does that mean? Well, it means that while the King James Version might be a decent translation, and I believe it is in a lot of ways, it still has an agenda. So let's look real quick at where it came from. Okay? Let me make this point. I'm not going to spend 45 minutes up here talking about translations. I could. It would probably be super beneficial. It would probably help a lot of you that have never ever studied any of it. But I'm not going to. <clears throat> what I'm doing is sweeping and leveling the floor. Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men. According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. You see, we have to know where it came from in order to know why it is like it is. Simple. We need to know what's been built into it so that we can guard ourselves against doctrines of men. Sweeping and leveling the floor. Being in the flooring and textile industry now for 22 years, along with any other contractor that's halfway decent, can tell you the importance of prep work. It's about the most important part of the job, is the prep. It's in the prep work that the whole job comes together. It's in the prep work is if the job is even going to be good. And maybe it'll look good up front because you don't have to do perfect prep work for it to look good up front. But 10 years down the road, if you didn't do good prep work, it's going to show through. All I'm doing with telling you about versions and translations is prep work. About language, it's just the prep. Today I'm going to tell you the importance of one single word. I'm going to tell you a story about one single word. 
I'm going to help you understand. But the time right now. The time has come for you to take your I know everything knowledge. Your I go to the perfect church knowledge. Your I've worked it out in my mind and I'm closed to certain things knowledge. The part of you that sometimes sits inside, the part of you that sits inside of you. And it filters what it allows our brains to hear. The part that's there because of your bias to a certain viewpoint. Your perceived knowledge based on denominational or non-denominational viewpoints and teachings. Wipe it all out and open your mind back up. Let's start with a blank page and reread our Bibles. Let's talk a bit about where we got the English Bible. All these dates that I'm going to throw out here are around about dates. I'm not a historian. Look it up for yourself. They're close. That's all I'm going to tell you. The first nearly complete translation of the Old and New Testament from the original language was done by William Tyndale. Tyndale was inspired by the Protestant reformers, especially Martin Luther. Remember the word inspired. We're going to come back to that in a minute. He translated from the available Greek and from the Masoretic Hebrew text. The books were published individually over several years. His New Testament was completely or completed and it was released in 1525. In 1525. Now why did I say to remember the word inspired? Because he was inspired by the Protestant reformers. He was inspired by Martin Luther. But what was his background? This is like going back to the language, going back to where he came from. What was his background? What was the beliefs that he already had? In 1521, William Tyndale was ordained as a Roman Catholic priest. So while he may have been a rebel and a free thinker outside of that, his belief being more in line with Luther... His background was the Roman Catholic Church. He was not liked by the Roman Catholic Church. They did not like him. Um, If they wanted an English Bible, they would have wrote it. You can go down that hole as far as you want to go down on your own time. It's, in, it's very interesting. Tyndale was incarcerated for 16 months before he was strangled to death and publicly burned in 1536. That's where your English Bible came from. So you can thank him for getting the ball rolling on something that you can actually read. From there we get multiple versions of the Bible before King James came. We have the Great Bible in 1539. 
We have the Geneva Bible in 1560. Here's a side note. The Geneva Bible is why you have chapters and verses in your Bible. Before the Geneva Bible, you didn't have chapters and verses. You had the Bishop's Bible in 1568, the Reims in 1582, and the King James came around in around 1611. This was the authorized version. It's well thought out and well thought of that the King James Version was heavily influenced by the Tyndale and the Bishops. Now you can argue that point until you're blue in the face for the credibility of that. You can go back and you can read the history on it. I'll tell you that it's a good translation, the King James Version. It's a good translation. And it still has an agenda. It has an agenda based on Catholicism and based around making sure to get as much Jewishness out of the Bible as they can. The Tyndale, the bishops, and the King James Version all use the word Easter. All of them. I have each version. Now, I totally understand why it's so important for believers to have a version of the Bible that they can read and that they can understand. It's, it's extremely important. I mean, I can't even imagine being a believer back in the day and not having what we have. We don't understand what we have. We take it for granted. While I understand translation, for the life of me, I can't understand translating names. It really bugs me. I don't know why in like 400 years if I was going to write something or not me write something. If somebody was going to write something about Brian, they'd call him Tom. I don't know why. I don't know why that makes sense. It's silly. I don't know why we're not smart enough to use regular names, use original names. I have no idea why that um, is so important in these translations. We're going to go down that road for just a second, though. Words matter. I said that to somebody once. It didn't go very good. (laughs) Words matter. Names have meaning. For example, YHVH. Yod Hey Vav Hey. Yahweh. It has been translated out of your Bible. 6,000 times, over 6,000 times, they removed the name of the Lord and they replaced it with G-O-D, all capital letters, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, some Jehovah. I don't understand why this is so difficult. Why we can't just keep these names in there. Psalm 68.4, extol him that rideth above the heavens by his name, Yah, and rejoice before him. What did he say his name was to Moses? I am. Moses said, who will I tell him sent? I am sent you. That's pretty cool. That's pretty important. Yahweh translate to I am is a meaning. 
remember that. Now let's talk about the name. We'll say Jesus. Let's talk about the name Yahshua. Let's talk about that and why, why in the world it was so important to get rid of that because what, that's hard to say? You know the importance in that word? Well, it starts out Y-A-H using the name of the Lord. It means, it literally means Yahweh is salvation. Translate it down. I am salvation. That's your Messiah. It's beautiful. We don't understand it. We don't get it. We're not taught it. Translation. Words matter. So I've set the stage with why language is important. So I'd like to read a few passages with you if you'd like to open your Bibles to Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus on the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, I'm a Sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You need to make a mental note. When seeing a direct quote from the Old Testament, like this. Jesus is quoting directly from Psalm 22. While he hangs on a cross. Now, the Bible didn't have chapters and verses. We already talked about that. So when someone would quote something, what does that exactly mean? What were they doing? They were bringing your attention to a section of Scripture. Okay? When they heard this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They knew Psalms. They knew it. They didn't know Psalms 22, 1 through 6 or 7. They knew Psalms. That's how this worked. You quote a section, you quote a piece, it takes your mind back so you can study the section that they're referring to. That's how this works. No chapters, no verses. They would have known exactly what he was saying exactly when he said 
my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? A thousand years before Christ hung on that cross, Psalms 22 was written. So let's go to Psalms 22. Psalm 22. We'll read down through 6. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy, O you, who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. people he came to save. But I am a worm, not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Now why would why would Christ quote this song? Why while he was on the cross would he draw you back to this song? Remember the prep work? Remember words matter. Remember that English translates terrible, terrible sometimes. This is amazing. This is amazing when I read this part to you. It's going to blow your mind. I would like to draw your attention to the word worm. See, this translation, and when they say worm, you think of gross things. You think of nasty things. You think of earthworms. You think of maybe a maggot. You think of, but nothing that's good. You don't think anything good when it says worm. The more you study, the more you know. Usually in the Bible, the Hebrew word for worm is rima. It means maggot. That's not the word that's used in this scripture. The word that's used in this scripture is tola'oth. which means crimson worm or scarlet worm. 
both scarlet and crimson, are the colors of blood. The crimson worm. The Tola'oth worm, scientifically called the Cocos illicus, is a worm found in the Middle East. And it was used in ancient times to make a crimson or scarlet dye. It is a very special worm. It looks more like a grub than it does a worm. The dye was used in the red of the robe of the high priest. And it was probably the dye that was used on the ram skins to create the covering of the tabernacle. Uses of this red dye continue today. When it is time for the female crimson worm to have babies, which she only does one time in her life, she finds the trunk of a tree or a fence post. She then attaches her body to the wood and makes a hard crimson shell. She is so strongly and permanently stuck to the wood that the shell can never be removed without tearing her body completely apart and killing her. Starting to see it. The crimson worm then lays her eggs under her body and under the protective shell of it. When the baby worms hatch, they stay under the shell. Not only does the mother's body give protection for her babies, it also provides them with food. The babies feed on the living mother. They feed on the body of the mother. 1 Corinthians 11.24 Taking the bread once he had given thanks, he broke it saying, This is my body, which is for you. After just a few days, when the young worms grow to the point that they are able to take care of themselves, the mother dies. As the mother crimson worm dies, she oozes a crimson or scarlet dye, which not only stains the wood that she's attached to, but also her young children. They're colored scarlet red for the rest of their lives. Jesus died on a cross, on a tree, for each one of us 
And his blood covers us. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Romans 3.25, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. After three days, the dead mother crimson worm's body loses its color and turns into a white wax that falls to the ground like snow. Isaiah 1.18 Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So what did Jesus mean when he said, I am a worm? Well, He gave up his life on a tree so that his children might be washed with his crimson blood and their sins cleaned white as snow. He died for us that we might live through him. It's pretty powerful, huh? That's the power. Of translation. That's the power and the importance of language. You can't take what's been translated into your language as truth and all truth, every single bit. We have to go back, we have to know, we have to learn. You have to stop coming here and having people tell you what to think. We have the solution. the solution to eternal life. We don't share it. We show up. We meet inside our walls. And we feel good about it. We come here. We feel so good about it. Oh, who cares how you feel? Who have you shown lately the path that leads out of the fire? 
Who have you shown lately the rock to stand on? Who? Who cares how you feel? Man, we're losing people. I'm just going to say this in a general statement. Churches in general. We're losing people. We've stopped learning. We've stopped learning. You can't go through 2020 and tell me that we didn't stop learning. The only thing people were looking for in 2020 was somebody to tell them how to believe. Because they stopped learning. They stopped studying. They don't want to know what's in here. They want you to tell them what to do. Well, what are we going to do now? I don't know. What's the Bible say? That's not where they go. That's not where they go. They go to men. They go to men. It's disgusting. We let other people tell us what to think and what to believe. And we never question what we're taught. We never question it. We just hold it as truth. They're older than us, they probably know. Truth demands being questioned. Open your Bibles. Study. It's beautiful. It's alive. Let the Father talk to you. Read this. Stop listening so much. You know, I've heard people say, and it's interesting, truth demands being questioned. Why can't I question the truth? If it's the truth, then any question I have should be able to be answered, and we come back to truth, right? Huh, that's weird. We, we say it. Oh, but we don't like to be questioned. Don't question. Don't do that. Goodness gracious. You want to know the Father? You want to know Him? You want to know who He is? I'm going to tell you right now, you ain't going to find Him. You're not going to learn Him from Matthew to Revelation. Not like you need to learn Him. That ain't going to happen. You need to get back in the back, in the beginning of the book. You want to know who God is? You read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That'll teach you who God is. That'll teach you who He is and what He expects. You read through those five books and you learn how undeserving you are. like Paul writes in Romans 7 what shall we say then is the law sin may it never be on the contrary I would not have even known sin except through the law for I would not have known about coveting if the law hadn't said not to covet 
We have no place in the presence of God without Christ. You need to understand that. You need to understand the importance. You need to understand when He's on the cross and He's hanging there and He takes you back to Psalms and you don't put any effort into understanding why. Understand. The whole crucifixion, the whole salvation story is in one word. It's in a word that we translate worm. The Messiah is real and He conquered death. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. And that, my friends, is how you answer all things. All things. That's the answer. We need to share. We need to share it with everybody. You accept Him. You love Him. You obey Him. 1 John 2, 4 and 6 The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember. Remember the names. Remember the language. Yahweh, I am, sent His Son. Salvation. I am salvation. Second Peter 3.9 Not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all would come to repentance. The lesson is yours. If you're in need in any way, please let us know. Let's stand together and sing.